Well, the message is completely wrong. I changed the scripture out and reprinted them, but forgot to change the title. But that's how I roll, right? So that's what I get for rushing around this morning. But just thankful for the Lord's presence. And again, when, you, when, you're, when you're a preacher and God kind of shifts and changes something on you, it's not that God changed, it's just that I wasn't listening to him properly, to be quite honest with you. I kind of had in my mind what I wanted to do, and I kind of felt all along he was leading me to do something else, but I just kind of was headstrong, and it was a busy week, and I already had this outline going, and thought I would just roll on through it. And, but I'm thankful for a guy that doesn't let me do that. Amen. I'm thankful for a guy that, you know, he was trying to speak to me, and then finally he about jerked me on my boots this morning. And, uh, and I'm thankful for a guy that does that because we want to be in his will. I love the Lord's Prayer when it gets to the part, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we do that? By being obedient, right? Being obedient. The Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, we're going to look at chapter 10. We're going to actually cover a very familiar story in the scriptures that I'm sure you've heard a time or two. And I think, though, that the reason God really was moving upon me this morning to to shift this gear, to go to this passage instead of what I wanted to do, was really because we live in a time where we need to be reminded of who our neighbor is. Amen? I've seen and witnessed lifetime-long friendships go awry in the past few weeks. Not anybody from me, by the way. Uh, nobody's mad at me but you, right? Well, got one person left. Jeannie chuckled. She's always supportive like that. Right? Um, I, I've seen lifelong friendships get soured over current events and over political views. I've seen those who say they follow Christ get twisted and upset and act in anger or speak in anger um, over current issues and politics. It's not that I don't have views of those things. I do. But there's a way to go about these things. And I think that it's high time that we as Christ followers remember what it is that we're called to do. And so there's a, this is a very sobering story that Jesus gave. And so we want to, uh, I'm, I'm going to read uh, verses 25 uh, through uh, 27 first, and, or 28, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get to the rest of the text as we progress through the passage. So Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, if you would please stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. We like to do that to honor him. And so starting at verse 25, it says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this. And you will live. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we just come to you, Lord, today with a humble heart. 
knowing that, Father, it's not me, the preacher, who does the work. Lord, it's not my words. It's yours. Lord, we want to deliver your word today in a way that is pleasing to you. Lord, to lift high your name. Father, I pray today, Lord, that you will challenge our hearts, including mine, knowing that you already have. But Lord, I just pray that you continue to challenge, that we'll be reminded, Lord, as, as time goes forward and things get worse, Lord, that we may be of sound mind and strong heart in you, looking to your word and your wisdom and not the world's. God, I pray that you help us and give us the strength, Lord, to speak graciously, to stand boldly, yet merciful. Lord, there are difficult times, but you've called us, Lord, to you. And Lord, we want to stand in a way that is pleasing to you. We want to live in a way that pleases you as well. So God, we pray today, Lord, as we look at this text that, Father, that you will open our hearts and our eyes to what you're truly saying. Lord, we love you. And we pray this, Lord, in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So we break into Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, where Jesus is now having a conversation with a lawyer. Now he's, he's already kind of sitting there with him and he's already talked about other things. And, and it says, behold, a lawyer stood up. A lawyer. Anybody ever dealt with one of those? Like on the wrong side. I mean, not, you know, not the lawyer that's for you, but against you. I, uh, I remember being... Um, called as a witness in a, in a case uh, several years ago. Um, it was a, uh, I was a uh, heat and air conditioning contractor at the time, and we had a house that actually uh, blew up. And so I remember going to court and being called as a, as a witness, and I remember being on the witness stand. That's a weird place, isn't it? Anybody who's ever been on a witness stand in the court, it's kind of unique. And as I stood there on the witness stand, this lawyer started to grill me. I mean, he was just roasting me. He would ask me questions, and in the middle of my answer, he would cut me off. And I'd be, you didn't let me finish. And then the bailiff would get on to me for talking when I wasn't supposed to. And uh, let's just say, I don't think I did West Virginia very proud through that whole ordeal. Because the more questions he asked me and the way he did it was just, um, well, they wanted to twist my words and they wanted to get me into that place where then I would say something that may be off or wrong or that would point to us and make us culpable and all that stuff. And I just remember by the time I was done, I was ready to come out of that witness stand and grab that guy by the throat and send him to Jesus. I didn't say tell him about Jesus. I mean, literally send him there. And so I was the last witness of the day. And so when I got done, bailiff told me I could be excused. Now, to keep in mind, I've been, I've been in a back room for two days waiting to testify. 
because you're not allowed to hear the other testimonies until after you testify. So after I got done testifying, I went down and sat down beside the, the owner of the company that I worked for. And uh, the judge ended up um, dismissing for the day right after that. And as soon as he hit that gavel, you know, be dismissed and start again tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., hit that gavel down. Uh, then everybody started to move about freely. And those two lawyers that were the, on the opposing side came over to me, shook my hand and said, nothing personal. I looked at him, I said, maybe for you. Maybe for you, but you're talking about my work. It is personal. And he just kind of looked at me. I said, wherever you're parked, I hope it's not near me. And I just walked off. Of course, the owner of the company got on to me for that. I wasn't supposed to do that. But I thought I'd at least make him shake in his boots for a few minutes, right? Um, so imagine this, this, this lawyer. Now, lawyer in this context is a little bit different than what we see, but yet still has same of some of the, the, the same context. Um, this lawyer is somebody who would have been well-versed and read in the law, the law of Moses. And so he knew all the laws. And it says here that he stood up to, to, to put him to the test, to test Jesus, to, to see if he could, I don't know, I don't know really what his motive was. Maybe his motive, maybe he knew that there was something off in his life and he, and he wanted to really, he knew that what he was doing was not giving him peace. I don't know. Or maybe he was trying to trip Jesus up. We see the Pharisees and stuff do that several times throughout the Gospels. They would try to trick Jesus or put him in a, in a, a lose-lose situation. I think about the adulteress that was brought to him, remember? Uh, and they said, well, you know, the, uh, the law says uh, that you have to stone her, but, right, he knew that the Jews did not have the ability to uh, do capital punishment under the Roman rule. And so it kind of caught him in one of these, you know, you know, you, 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 you know, you messed up if you do and you messed up if you don't kind of thing. And I don't know if you remember what Jesus said. Ye without sin, cast the first stone. Right? So many times they had come up to Jesus and tried to trip him up or tried to get him to say something. They were trying to, trying to show that he was not the Messiah that they were looking for. They were, they were, trying, to, they were trying to out him or trying to, to make him mess up in some way that they could say, aha, you're not who you say you are. It may have been that, or it may be really that he just wasn't settled in his heart that he was right in his, in his heart with God. Don't know what the motives were, but we sure do get a lot out of this passage. And so he was a lawyer who was educated in the laws of God. And he should have known this answer, right? He should have, he should have really known the answer, and he, and he did to some degree. Because Jesus put it back on him and says, what is written in the law? He knew that he was a lawyer, you're asking how to inherit eternal life. Well, what does the law say? And what did he say? The law says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. Right? So he knew what the law was. Also kind of reminds us of Nicodemus in a way, right? Who, who knew all the laws, but still yet knew there was something missing in his life. And went to Jesus in the dark of the night when nobody could see him and asked him, what do I got to do? You know, Good teacher, what is it? What is it I got to know that something's missing in their life? And listen, I'm going to tell you today, the world knows there's something missing in their life. 
Now, they may be able to quote all these philosophers and all these other things, right, and, and, and be real educated. Anybody ever sat down and listened to intellectual people talk sometimes? You know what I mean? Have you ever been around a bunch of, uh, you know, educated intellectuals and they're talking and they're using words that you're looking up on your phone while they're talking cause, and you're two sentences behind because you can't keep up? Anybody ever been like that? Right? And so we see this lawyer who, who, who has all the information, so he thinks, but there's still something missing. Just as in Nicodemus, still something missing. He knew what the law said, to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and might, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now think about that for a minute. He said, do this, and you will live. I kind of think that maybe I would have just, all right, well, thank you for clarifying that for me. And maybe got up and left, but this guy... This guy's not that. He's not that kind of guy. He's, it says that he, in verse 29, let's, let's look at it together. In verse 29 it says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied. Now, before we get into the rest of those red letters, I want just kind of think about this. And he, here he is, and, and Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And he quotes the law, right? Just as Jesus, when they asked him what was the greatest of all the laws, and he said, well, they're, you know, love the Lord God with all heart, mind, and soul. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So here he quotes that. He doesn't quote all the, the 613 Mosaic laws, right? He goes to the heart of the matter that Jesus had already said before, he told them the greatest, all the laws hang on these two things. But he tried to justify himself. Anybody ever self-justified before? Anybody ever talk yourself into something? You know what I mean? And has anybody ever tried to justify yourself before the Lord? Well, God, you know, you know my heart, Lord. You know I was trying. Listen, if you've got to try to justify yourself, you already know you're wrong. Amen. Because if you're right, you wouldn't have to justify yourself. If you had done the right thing, you ain't got to say, well, I was, you know, try to, to give the intent, right? A lot of times we think that we're good as long as our intent is good, right? Uh, the way to an ends of a, you know, uh, I've, suddenly I forgot the, the, the phrase, the end to a mean, uh, means to an end, Right? The ways doesn't justify the means to the end, right? Sometimes we're like, well, I'm trying to get to this end result, which is good, but I'm not going about it in a way that is, that is Christ-like, right? Well, listen, we can't justify ourselves in that kind of way and say, well, God, well, you know what I really wanted was. That doesn't do anything to us except for really hinder our relationship before God because we're not being honest with ourselves and with God because he already knows the real deal. It's not like you can trick him or fool him or hide it from him. He already knows the intent of your heart. And a lot of times we'll try to do things in such a way that, you know, we, we want a we good result, right? We want a good result, but we don't want to put in the time or effort to do that. Or we want the end result, but we're looking at some of the things that we're going to have to do to get to that result, and it's just hard and difficult, so we, try to, we, we either try to justify ourselves. Sal and I used to try to justify ourselves when we'd argue in marriage, right? I mean, 
Adam, Adam did it in the garden, didn't he? What did Adam say? That woman you gave me. Right? I tried that a couple times. It didn't work too well. Right? There are some things, listen, just, we, we, we try to justify ourselves in, and all we're doing is delaying, delaying the joy that we could have if we did it right. Delaying the joy we have if we actually lived Christ-like in our lives and in our homes. I can tell you, beautiful marriages don't come about by accident. They are work. And if for a lot of years, Sal and I spent our early years in marriage trying to justify, well, I'm not going to try if she ain't trying. Everybody ever done that? Well, when you decide to try, you let me know. Then we'll both try. Listen, just because another person ain't trying does not justify you in how you act and what you're doing. It doesn't work that way. Right? We still need to live and be Christ-like. It doesn't matter what the other person is doing. And that's really part of the story, too. So he's trying to justify himself. Well, well, who's my neighbor? Because there may be some people that are disqualified from being neighbors, and we'll disqualify them based on you know, some presuppositions or something that we have against them, maybe a people group or a type. Right, so we'll, you know, those don't really qualify as neighbors. This is what qualifies as a neighbor, and I will do and live your word for these people. But these people over here don't qualify. So trying to justify himself, what he tried to do was narrow down the passage. He tried to he tried to bring it in, if you will, because loving the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then loving your neighbor as yourself—that's a wide open command, amen. Because loving your neighbor as yourself. Includes all, all people groups, yellow, white, black, and blue. It don't matter. It doesn't matter what their lifestyle is. It does not matter. I am to love them. That's what the wide open passage is, but he's trying to crank this thing in. Well, let's wait a second now. Jesus, let's define neighbor. Now, listen. The fact that he said this has already disqualified himself as holding to the law. Why? Because loving the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul includes loving your neighbor as a part of that. He's trying to, he's trying to make it two separate things. I love you, God, but we got to define this neighbor thing. Amen? Taking it completely out of context and trying to make it his own to where he gets to qualify who the neighbor is. And so when he asks that question, that alone already shows that he's not doing the first law very well. Because 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21 says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Amen. So he's already, he's already going down a river with a boat that got a hole in it, and he only got one oar, and it's broke. You know what I'm saying? He's going down fast. And so he, being the lawyer, says, okay, um, so Jesus, now who is my neighbor? And Jesus lays out this beautiful story. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, I want you to think about this. You ever been walking down a sidewalk like in Charlestown or Martinsburg, walking down a sidewalk and you see all of a sudden some people that you want to, uh, well, you don't want to deal with it. So you cross over and go on the other side of the sidewalk and go over there. That's kind of what's happening here. But who did he say went, did that, right? He said that there was this guy who'd been beat up by the robbers and was in bad shape. And first came a priest. Listen, if you can't rely on us preachers to love our neighbor, I don't know if there's anything else to say about that. Got him Forrest Gump moment, right? If you can't rely on me to love my neighbor as myself, then that's pretty pitiful, isn't it? I mean, would you really say, y'all need to come to our church, our people's nice. Now, our pastor's not nice. He doesn't love all his neighbors, he only loves a few select ones. You know, particularly those who ride Harleys and those who drive something other than Chevys. I mean, I'd even take a Volvo at this point, you know what I'm saying? You wouldn't do that, would you? You wouldn't, you wouldn't say, first off, you probably wouldn't be in this church if I was like that. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect, by the way. It's just not what I'm getting at. It's the concept that I want you to understand. That you wouldn't dare say, come to our church, all the people are beautiful, except for our pastor, he is nasty. But he preaches all right, and, and he could think, so we let him be pastor. But don't worry about him, he's going to treat you awful, but everybody else will be nice to you. Who would do that? But this priest, this man of God, who's supposed to know these laws and live them, and also teach to others, And the priest would even go in and make sacrifices for other people's sin. Think about how, think about that conflict in your mind just for a minute. So this guy who totally ignored this guy who's beaten and half dead over here. By the way, let me qualify this. It's safe to assume that the guy who's in the ditch, beaten up, is a Jew because he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. You understand what I mean here? And Jesus is telling this story. And then when he gets to the one who did stop, then, you know, then it all makes sense. But it's very safe to assume that this guy who's laying there is a Jew. That's important, right? It's important because it's kind of like this. You know, it'd be like a Baptist seeing another Baptist in a ditch all beat up and just go to the other side of the street and just keep walking, right? It's kind of like that. Or just a Christian seeing another Christian hurt and just go to the other side of the street and act like they didn't see it. That's what it's equal to. And so this priest, this, 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 this guy who's responsible for delivering God's word and for making sacrifices uh, for folks, remember Jesus hadn't went to the cross yet, they were still sacrificing animals. And this guy who helps in a part, as a part of that, this guy <laughs> didn't want nothing to do with him. Went to the other side of the street. Kind of reminds me of a story. I heard a story about these, uh, 
These two fellows, one was walking this way, dragging his left foot. And he was coming up the street, and the other guy was dragging his right foot. And they finally got and met up in the middle. The first guy said, Vietnam, 1972. The other guy said, dog poop, two blocks. Anyway, back to this priest. I was wondering how I could work that one into a message. I was That would definitely make me to go outside of the street, right? Don't want to step in the trail. So then who comes along next? A Levite. Levites were responsible for, you know, the ministry of taking care, uh, you know, in the temple and stuff. It was the Levites who carried the ark. Gives you an idea of how important they are. It was the Levites. They carried the ark the way God commanded them to. Another religious person who is responsible for, you know, distributing to the poor and all these kind of things that go, that take place there in the temple. Levites were those guys. And the Levite does the same thing. He sees this guy in a ditch and he goes to the other side. What if that were you in the ditch? What if that were you that were half dead? crying out for help and how would you feel if you were one who was crying out for help stay with me what if it was you who were crying out for help and you saw people who say they love God walk on by how would you feel because the people you work with and the people who are in your neighborhood the people that are around you that don't know Jesus, they're dying. And they are marked for death. And they will pay with their life for an eternity. Unless somebody tells them about Jesus. Unless somebody tells them the gospel. Let's them know there's a God who loves them. You know, when we think about somebody mangled in a ditch needing help, well, yeah, I'd help that guy. Well, what about the person that's walking down the hallway at work, clearly in distress, stressed out to the hilt, not knowing which way to turn, and they just need somebody to tell them that they're loved? And what if they find out that you say that you love Jesus and that you love God? And that you follow these two laws as well because everything hinges on those two laws. How would you feel to think that someone had the answer and would not share it? I think they would feel a lot like this guy in the ditch to see these two super religious fanatics who say they love God with their heart, their heart, mind, and soul and love their neighbors or self and watch them not only go by, but go to the other side. Don't even want to get near it. How would you feel? Listen, loving our neighbor as ourself is not just giving them a stick of butter when they need it or help change a flat tire. Sometimes meeting those physical needs are just opportunities 
to share with them how their spiritual and eternal needs can be met by a God who loves them. And the only way they're going to know that a God loves them is someone who says they love God shares it with them. When we think about somebody mangled laying in a ditch, I remember um, it was back in the summer uh, when all the COVID stuff really started hitting. Uh, a young man wrecked right up here. He uh, cut that telephone pole in half right across from the Brethren Church and was ejected out of his truck. And there was a lady who happened to be a nurse was laying flowers on a grave and she saw him fly out of the truck and it hit the, and, uh, hit the asphalt. And so Jordan come and got me and we ran up there. Listen, I didn't do anything special. But what was interesting to me was there was one nurse rubbing his chest, talking to him. She had started compressions. His heartbeat come back. He was breathing real heavy and labored. There was one woman standing there, rubbing his chest, talking to him. And there was about 50 people standing around doing nothing. Now, I'm not saying all 50 people could have done something. But I wonder how many of those say they love Jesus. How many of those say that they cared because that boy needed prayer? And I remember getting down in the ditch with him and I started to pray and it turns out the nurse was a Christian. She started to pray. She prayed, rubbed his chest. I prayed and it was weird when I got up though when they finally got there to the ambulance finally got there and to look around and it was like people were there to watch a circus. But when I think about this passage, how many of them knew Jesus that didn't even offer a prayer to a, to a boy who looks like he's not going to make it? How many would at least do that? That's the kind of world we come because people don't want to get involved. Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get involved. I don't, you know, we do two things. We don't talk about religion and politics. Well, show me in the scripture where that fits. It doesn't. It doesn't fit. We look at this and we think about, well, if I see somebody in a ditch, I'll go help them. I'm not going to go to the other side like these other two fellas. Listen, people are in a ditch every day dying. You see them. You work with them. You live in their neighborhoods. It's time we have to share. Because, listen, it's going to be soon when time is going to be no more. If there's something we learned this year, we learned that life is valuable. And we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've had the wind kick clean out of me. And reminded me every day. Every day because we've lost someone that we love so dearly. But every day that I look at my wife and I know what she's fighting and what she's up against. And every day I'm reminded of this. So listen, we got to take advantage of every day we have because tomorrow may not come. But I love the stories. I'm not saying this because Mary's here, but I love the stories that I heard about people that worked with Dave. And knew that he had the love of Jesus in him. Because they talked about it. Man, that was, that was warming to the soul when I would hear that. That's the legacy we all need to be leaving. These two fellows just went to the other side and walked away. I know that we look around and we get angry because people are believing stuff and people are doing stuff that just is despicable. I understand that, but they're still your neighbor. They're still your neighbor. 
They're off track. They're believing lies. I get it. I understand it. Well, look at the media. I understand the media's bias. I know they're putting out. I know that. But that does not change our obligation to spread the gospel. What's interesting about this, too, is I have talked to people who've been to the Holy Land and have been over in Israel. And they talk about this Jericho Road. There's an old gospel song made, on the Jericho Road, there's room for us. Right. Jericho Road is not like 81, two lanes on each side with a median in the middle. Jericho Road winds down the side of a hill, and there's drop-offs. Right? It's a narrow road. And you get two donkeys with carts and try to pass side by side. He said, this hit is tight. This road to Jericho wasn't some super highway that you would think. It was more like a goat path. And to think about how they, you know, to, for them to go to the other side, it wasn't even that far. But just to think of how they had to scoot around to get away, you know, I don't know. But a lot of times, I will tell you this, you know, a lot of times we don't speak up. You know why? Because we already got problems going on in our life that we're not trusting Jesus for. And we feel like we can't take on another thing. You know why? Because we ain't gave the things we got now to Jesus. We haven't trusted him with what we have now. And we don't want to get involved in somebody else's life because I got enough on my own. Well, I have found this. I heard this all the time. I know your plate's full, Huff. I know your plate is full. You know what I figured out? Your plate's always going to be full. It's always going to be full. Right? What I got to do is decide what stays on the plate. Amen? I got to decide what stays on the plate. I'm going to tell you right now, if Sal fixed me some of that healthy stuff she fixes, and fix that nice salmon all, you know, is good for us, and somebody offered me a corn dog, I'm shoving that salmon off the plate, baby. Put the corn dog on. And some sriracha sauce. That stuff's good. Right? Listen, you, I'll be looking at the plate and be like, oh, man, there's cauliflower, all that, you know, that, that, that stuff, the asparagus. Well, I don't know. Mary makes that asparagus pretty good with bacon on it. That's pretty good. It's, listen, you, you want to make, make vegetables taste good? Wrap them in bacon. Man, do you realize Jews never got to taste that? I, I bet they have it in heaven. I hope so. But imagine you got some of all that, all that couscous and all this stuff, healthy stuff. And then over here's a big thing of banana pudding. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to that plate. I'm getting that stuff off. Put the banana pudding on. Or, or Mary make one in coconut pies. Look, I'll just empty the whole plate, just set the whole thing on here. I'm, your plate's always going to be full. Always. Just like your mind is always full problem is we don't make good choices of what we fill it with right you remember in science when you was a kid the science teacher would show you a glass and there'd be nothing in it right and turn it upside down and said okay is there anything in this glass no it's empty no it's full no there ain't nothing in it it's full it's full of air and when you pour something in the glass you know what happens the air gets displaced it pushes the air out so the liquid can go in. But that cup's always full. 
Your mind is always full, but what are you putting in it? Paul said to think about these things, these things which are lovely, these things which are beautiful, these things which are, you know, uh, are right with God. Fill your mind with these things. Instead, sometimes we fill our mind with doubt. We fill it up with what ifs. What may happens. How many of y'all are already thinking about what you got to do tomorrow and you already kind of got a situation you're thinking about already? And you're already going on the what-if scenario, right? I don't know about you, but that's what I do sometimes, right? I'm like, all right, I know what's going to happen. I know what I'm supposed to do on Monday, but I got these two other issues. And so I start going on the what-if scenarios. What if this? What if that? You know what I realize? All the times that I worry and I have all the what-ifs going on, they rarely ever happen. I spent all that time on the what-ifs. And it didn't happen that way. Because I don't know about you, but I think of worst case scenarios. Y'all, y'all do that? Worst case. I mean, like, you know, had a guy that had a problem on a job Friday. I'm worried he's going to come in Monday and quit. And I can't quit because he's my best guy and, and all this stuff. And come in Monday, he all happy like, he, like Friday never happened. I worried all weekend about this. And he come in Friday like, what are you talking about? I mean, Monday, what are you talking about? I wasn't upset. It was just, just one of them days. I worried all weekend about you quitting. We get anxious over these things, and it's difficult. It can be difficult. We've got to trust God to know that he knows what he's doing. So we have a priest and we have a Levite. These guys are supposed to help you. Help you. They were supposed to be. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace... Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We have an obligation to each other. But not only to each other, we have an obligation to our fellow man or fellow woman. Amen. Our neighbor, we have an obligation. God didn't put us in life for us to be the center of life. So now let's go, let's read about this other guy. Let's pick back up on verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is a day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, here is this Jewish guy talking to Jesus, asking, Well, who's our neighbor? And the first two neighbors... The first two guys, highly religious, well-respected in the Jewish community, those two guys fail. They go on around and act like they don't see him, one of their own. But then Jesus says, but this Samaritan guy. Now, if you're a Jew, listen to this. And Jesus says, but this Samaritan guy. And the Samaritan guy does all the things the other guys should have done. He puts him on his own animal. He takes him. He cares for him, takes care of him. And then he even leaves money and says, hey, if you spend more than this taking care of the guy, 
Let me know when I come back through, I'll make sure that I square up with you. I mean, he not only took care of him himself, but he made sure that his future would be taken care of until he could get back on his feet. That's what the first two should have done, but they didn't. But this Jew guy sitting here, listen to this, when Jesus talked about Samaritan, they hated Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans are like oil and water, fire and ice. I was talking to Kevin this morning before we started service, you know, like when you kind of, you know, when you kind of just look at, you know, I, I was, and, and I've, I've searched this before and I've used this text before, but not in the same way. And uh, I, matter of fact, I went back and looked, 2012, I used this text in March of 2012. So as you think I'm not organized, how you like that? Thank God for computers that actually timestamp stuff. It's pretty nice. But I remember searching, and so I was, you know, again, on a search this morning, looking at some old notes that I had made on this topic and, and, uh, and read through it. It's like, I just wonder, where did Samaritans go wrong? Like, where did, where did Jews and Samaritans, what, what happened that suddenly made them not like each other? Where did, the, where did the fight begin? Because before there was this separation, Samaria, just, they were just, it was a city the Jews lived in. I mean, it was, I was telling uh, Kevin that if you read the story of Naaman, right, Naaman was the Assyrian uh, general who had leprosy, but he was a good fighter. You remember him? And, and Naaman's house was a little girl who was a Jew who was taken from her family. And she says, you know, if you would, if you would go to this, this prophet in Samaria whose name was Elijah. If you read the story of Naaman, right, Naaman goes there and Elijah just tells him to go down and, and, and wash himself seven times. Right? And Naaman kind of got upset about it, but he went and did it, and guess what? His leprosy was healed. But Elisha lived in Samaria, so at one time, Samaria was good. Somebody come in and ruin the neighborhood, you know what I mean? Kind of like when I roll in a neighborhood. Oh, because I straight park my truck on the front lawn. I do not care. Done it. Been there. Sal hates it. But anyway, that's just the way I am. I will drive your property value down. You know what I'm saying? Y'all let me know if there's any houses for sale next to you. I'll take care of them. So there was, where, where did this, this riff happen? So when I started to look back, the best I could tell is when the Assyrians actually went through and, and, and uh, I, don't, I can't think of the right word, but they, they, they attacked Samaria and took the city. We'll just say it like that. And they took a lot of people of Samaria back with them. Now, again, they were Jews at this point. And so the Assyrians took a lot of them back with them. But some stayed. They let some stay that were farmers and stuff like that because they knew that they needed that kind of work to be done. And so they allowed some of the Jews to stay. Well, in that process, as the Assyrians took over the city, the Jews that remained there started to intermarry with the Assyrians and started then take on Assyrian gods, carved idols. And so that's kind of where it all started, this hate for the Samaritans who, who basically gave up on living as God prescribed. Doesn't mean all of them did it, but many of them did. And if you read the story of Nehemiah building the wall, there's a guy named Sanballat there in that story. Sanballat's daughter married he was a Jew, married uh, in a Syrian. And so hence this downward crash that happened. 
And so now the Jews in Jerusalem cannot stand those people in Samaria. They were awful to the point that they would go around the city miles out of their way, not in a car, but walking on their feet, miles out of the way just to not go into Samaria. Matter of fact, you probably remember that the, the woman at the well was in Samaria. This is what she said. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They called them dogs. So let's go back to the story. This Jewish guy is sitting there. Well, Jesus, let's talk about who our neighbors are. Jesus says, well, it's like this. There was a fellow on the Jericho Road, got beat up, tore up, and about half dead. And the first guy to come along was a priest, you know, one of your priests. And he looked down at a fellow Jew, and he, yeah, he just went on the other side of the road, didn't help him. If that wasn't bad enough, a Levite one responsible for taking care and administering things in the temple. He comes down, guess what he does? Same thing like the priest. Totally ignores him, goes to the other side of the road, just leaves the guy there for dead. But now, here comes a Samaritan. And instead of thinking that, you know, this guy would call me a dog any day of the week, most likely, because he's a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. But that doesn't matter because his life has value. So I'll pick him up, I'll put him on my animal, I'll take him down into town, I'll put him up at a hotel, I will nurse him through the night and, and do all I can to take care of him, then I'll make sure that he's cared for until he can get back on his feet. A Samaritan, one that this lawyer would call a dog, did the right thing for one of those Jews' people. This lawyer, those, that, that guy in that ditch was one of his people a fellow Jew, and he couldn't even depend on other fellow Jews who were supposed to be all about God. Couldn't depend on them. It took a Samaritan to come down and do that. Jesus said, that guy's your neighbor. Think about that. Anybody ever seen the movie Lone Survivor? Lone Survivor was a story about these, uh, these Navy SEALs uh, up in this mountain that were fighting, uh, and they got overrun. And Mark Luttrell was the guy's name, who was the, the SEAL. He was the lone survivor, the only one to survive. And he was all broke up and shot up, and he made his way to this little village. And I forget what uh, sect of the religion that they were, but in their religion, guess what? They're supposed to take care of someone in need. And you know what they did? They hid him. And then when it finally came out that he was there, they fought the enemy to save his life until they could get back in there and get him out. Many of them died fighting to save his life. How unlikely. And so to us, it'd be something like this. It'd be like the day after 9-11. And you had an accident, was laid down in a ditch, only to have somebody from Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that come by after all your buddies went on by 
All the people that live around you know who you are, went on by. The only one that would stop would be that little Afghani person. And they would pick you up, put you in their vehicle, and get you to the hospital. And not only that, say, you know what? I'll pay the bill. That's what this story would be like in modern times. Could you imagine that? Do you remember the rhetoric after 9-11? Do you remember that? I do. We were all about America, but we sure didn't. We had a disdain for a certain group of people, didn't we? They're all our neighbors. And so we have to decide, who am I a citizen of first? God's kingdom? Or America? Is God's kingdom going to be the most important thing to me? Is my citizenship in heaven above all others? Because that's what this story tells me. This story tells me that this Samaritan that the Jews would have hated, just they see, they're a foreigner to them. They're dogs. We don't like these people at all. But yet that's the one who took care of the guy. Jesus says, that's, that's your neighbor. I like in verse 36, it says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Would you stand to your feet?